Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Shem, we'll be learning Daf Samach Aleph in Maseches Kiddushin. But as Andrew calls it, it's Friday, heading into Shabbos. Bezat Shem should be Shabbos. Uh, with Shabbos should come peace, and we learn for Lilian Nishmas, everyone that was lost, and for Aschus, for everyone mm-hmm. who'll continue to Bezat Shem have peace and health. And um, Andrew calls it Dapaim Yomi on Fridays because we are on Samach Amid Aleph. <clears throat> in the Mishnah, I'm going to try to move. We are learning five minutes early in order to maybe make a little more ground. So here we go. And also for the schos of everyone. May all of our learning and extra effort work towards that. Okay. Omer Le'isha says the Mishnah. <clears throat> a man says to a woman, <laughs> I was contemplating this. It is, it is amazing. Uh, and we're going to learn. Today's topic is going to be making these conditions. Tonight. Uh, Conditions. I mean, actually, they call it a wedding. I was at a wedding last night from Moshe Richter. Shout out. And um, Tanaim, they call them the Tanaim, right? Conditions uh, of marriage. Any financial arrangement or any arrangement or any partnership, and including a marriage, has Tanaim sometimes, right? You have these things called conditions. Bezrat Hashem will get to it. Daf Samech Aleph, we learn that when Moshe Rabbeinu right, was going and uh, directing Klal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael, they had uh, a, he had a condition with the children of the tribes of God and Reuven, right? It's called the Tanai of Bnei God and Bnei Reuven. And they wanted to take some of the land on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, the land called Gilad. And he said, well, if you go in and fight with us, then you will be able to get this land. If you do not go in and fight with us, then you will not get the land. We will see shortly enough. I'm a little bit foreshadowing. Hopefully we'll get to it. Uh, uh, a lengthy discussion in Daf Samach Aleph of this Tanai Bnei Gad Bnei Reuven. Was Moshe Rabbeinu teaching us how Tanaim in general are supposed to be constructed? Did he have to say the, right, did he have to make the conditions? This is Machlokas in the Mishnah. Did he have to make the conditions the way he did or did he not? So we're going to get to that in the Mishnah on Daf Samach Aleph. But I just wanted to bring it up now because we see that there are such a thing as Tanaim. It is an interesting topic in, uh, in Shas over here, and this is really where it comes to light more than anywhere else in Samech and Samech Alf of Kiddushin. So, with that introduction, the person made it tonight. The tonight was to a man says to a woman, you're Mekudeshes to me on the tonight, Almanas, on the condition that I will give you 200 Zuz. Now, he's not giving her 200 Zuz now, as Rashi points out, uh, the first Rashi in the Mishnah, but Pruta Zu, Almanach Eitanach Matayim Zuz. In other words, he's giving her only one pruta. Now, you have to be Mikhanish the one with the Shavar pruta. <clears throat> you don't need to give her Matayim Zuz in order, to, in order to marry her. But what he's saying to her is that if that our marriage is going to right, actually take hold, um, if I actually give you not just this pruta that I'm being Mikhanish with you now, but eventually Matayim Zuz. Says the Gemara, mekudeshes says the Mishnah rather, Harezu Mekudeshes Vihuitin. That the Kiddushin is Chal, right? And she, and the Kiddushin works, and he needs to give her the Matayim Zuz. The Gemara is going to explain what does that mean? Is she going to be Mekudeshes now? Or is she going to be Mekudeshes when she gets the, when the Tanai is fulfilled, right? When the condition is fulfilled, we'll discuss. But the Chiddush, as it were, of the Mishnah is that she is Mekudeshes this way. Okay, says the Mishnah continues. So again, on the condition that I give you, right, that I give you uh, presumably the money, right, from now until 30 days, which is to say, let's say it's the same time Zuz, 
And now, not only is he saying, on the condition that I give you 200 zuz, but now he's saying that there's a timestamp. In other words, if he, if he says, I have to give you 200 zuz, then it sounds like an open-ended. It doesn't say in the Mishnah when he would have to give them a time zuz. The condition sounds like it would work. Here, he's saying, I have to give it to you within 30 days. If he says he has to give it to her within 30 days, the Mishnah says, So then, and the Gemara will discuss why this is a Chiddush, but in fact, if he makes a stipulation that I have to give you the 200 zuz within 30 days, so if he does manage to, in fact, give her the 200 zuz within 30 days, then she's Mikudeshes. But if he gives her, let's say, the 200 zuz after 45 days, then she's not Mikudeshes, which is to say, his, right, condition is binding. The Gemara will ask, is that a Chiddush? Sounds like obvious that the condition should be binding. We'll see in the Gemara what the mission is trying to teach us. What is the novelty here? Okay. Next case, says the Mishnah, Now he's not even uh, offering to give it to her. He just wants her to know that he comes from means, right? Um, on the condition that I happen to have that kind of money in my bank account. So the halacha is, she is in fact mekudeshes to him, assuming he does in fact have it. In other words, he can't lie to her. Uh, it has to be true. But if he has the money in the bank account, that is going to be grounds for her to in fact be mekudeshes. Uh, another stipulation is Amanas She'er Ech So here the Mishnah says he doesn't even have to tell her that he has the money. What if he just tells her that he could show her the money, as the phrase goes? Says the Mishnah, that she is in fact, uh, that's a condition where she would be Mekudeshes, but he does have it to in fact what? Show her the money. The As we will see in the Gemara, it has to really be his money because at the end of the day, guys, this is a situation where what? Where her mindset and his mindset matter, which is to say, as we've said, a woman has to concede, right? She has to consent to this uh, arrangement. Well, in order for her to consent, she has to know what she's consenting to. And so we've seen this already and we'll see this again. The idea that if she's consenting, then we have to make assumptions as to what is she consenting to. So if a man says, uh, you are Mikudesh to me on the condition that I'll show you 200 Zuz. So we are going to assume that what she thinks he's saying is that he owns the money, right? If he's just, she doesn't need to see the money if it's not his money, right? She doesn't need to see the money if it's monopoly money. The assumption is that he's trying to woo her, so to speak, by showing her that he has the money. And so that means that she's accepting it on the assumption that it's his money. So that's how the Mishnah continues. When he says, al shulchan, let's say he's a money changer, and he says, on, I am going to, you can make a dash to me on the condition that I show you $200 or whatever, 200 zuz. Ain't no mekudeshes. She's not mekudeshes if he's a money changer. Why? Because maybe it's not his money, right? So in other words, it's only mekudeshes if really he's showing her the money and she can assume that it's his. That's, that's the point. We will flesh that out in the Gemara. So without further ado, we continue the Gemara as follows. It ravuna amar <clears throat> now, Ravuna said that whenever, right, the man says, you're Mikudeshes to me, this is the first case, on the condition that I give you 200 Zuz. It's open-ended, right? He didn't say when he's going to pay her. So what Ravuna said was, when is the Kiddushan Chal retroactively? In other words, he gave her a pruta at the time, right? And he said, one day I'm going to give you 200 Zuz. Well, when once he pays her, with the 200 Zuz, once he gives her that money, the condition is going to retroactively take place at the time that he gave her the pruta all the way in the beginning. That is the Shita of Ravuna. 
However, Rabbi Yehuda Amar lech sheyitain, that the Kiddushin does not even take place until he gives her said money. In other words, you set the condition, even though he gave her a pruta, let's say in January, and he said, you are Mikudesh on the condition that, right, that I give you Matayim Zuz, and it wasn't until Pesach, later on, that he gave her Matayim Zuz, so Ravuna would say that the condition was Chal already all the way back in January, and Rabbi Huda would say it's only Chal on Pesach when he actually gives her the money. What is the reasoning? Says the Gemara, Ravuna Amar Vahu Yitain Tnahavi, because this is in fact what we call a Tnai, a condition, and we've already said that a tnai goes back retroactively, right? Makayim tnav azil. When he fills the condition, it goes back retroactively. That's how tnai works. In other words, right? He, it's not, and, and Barry was uh, already yesterday and the day before was asking about this. He said, I don't understand. You make a condition on the sale, so doesn't the sale depend on the condition? So we said to Barry, that is true. But what we call a misa, which is an action that has a halachic consequence, that all took place in January, which is to say, he gave her the money, he, he said her at Mikudeshetli, he gave her a Shavapruta, everything was done. Okay, so he put a stipulation. But that stipulation, right, once it's fulfilled, traces you all the way back, and this is the Sheet of Ravuna, traces you all the way back to the, what, to the initial Maisa. Okay, that is Ravuna's Sheet. However, Rabbi Yudah isn't really explaining it that much, but he just says, that the condition isn't chal. Rabbi Yudah has more of Barry's attitude, that when he gives her the money, when he gives her the money, that's when the condition takes effect. But now, right now, right, he is giving her Shavapruta, he is saying, but the condition cannot take effect yet because the conditions have not been met. Perhaps if you wanted to couch it in Lumdish words, you would say, by adding a condition, you're saying that, you know what? The Shavar Pruta and the Arayat Mekudeshetli in its own right is not enough. It normally is. That's normally how Chazal set it up. You give a Shavar Pruta and you say Arayat Mekudeshetli. But guess what? This dude did an additional thing. He added another ingredient to the condition. By adding a condition, he said, you know what? In our specific case, in order for the condition to be Chal, it's going to have to be Arayat Mekudeshetli and a Shavar Pruta and 200 Zuz, says Rebuda, until all those conditions are met. Now those are the ingredients for marriage. And until those, all those conditions are met, the marriage will not be Chal. Of course, the Gemara is going to ask, my Nahu, what would be the practical difference of whether she gets married in January or, or Pesach? Well, the conditions are obvious, obvious right? Says the Gemara. Well, one possibility would be, let's say she gets married in between on Purim. Somebody else is Mekadashur, fulfills all their conditions, and she accepts. So According to Rav Huna, this second guy cannot do that because after all, there's still, right, there is an ongoing Kiddushin process in place, and she is not allowed to in, engage with another man. Whereas with the Rav Yehuda, have a Kiddushin. According to Rav Yehuda, the Kiddushin is not yet uh, at all chal until Pesach, and therefore she can marry someone else in the interim. Okay. Now the Gemara says, You know, on Git $9, which we've already been zochah to learn, there was a almost identical machlokas as follows. It was, in fact, the same Monday Amr. Says the, get, the, you might recall, the Mishnah said in Git 9 Dalla. So we've already learned about these conditions. A man says to a woman, I'm going to give you a get on the condition that 
you will give me matayim zuz. This happens sometimes, right? Man doesn't always want to give a get, and sometimes he'll, he has leverage, and it's for that reason that he'll give a condition. So you gotta pay me, but I'll give you a get only if you pay me. Says the Mishnah, right? That she is in fact going to be divorced. That condition can be enacted, uh, can be enforced, and she, and the get is going to be valid. Itmar, and there we have the following machlokas. How do you like that? The same machlokas that we have by Kiddushin here, we had by Gittin over there. Rav Huna said that the get is active immediately, whereas Rav Yehuda said the get is only active once the woman pays him for the, right, and it was only then the get is active. Okay, and there as here, we had the explanation. Rav Huna says, yeah, as soon as she gives the money, it is going to be retroactively chal the get because that's how a tanai works. Mekayma tanai ve'azla. The tanai, the condition is met and it goes back retroactively to the time that they made the original contract, so to speak. Rabbi Yehuda, amar lech shetitein lechi havalei ha'aveget, hashtamir lo aveget. And Rabbi Yehuda, just like he said by Kiddushin, he said over there by Gittin and Nayin Dalet, that only once the condition is met, the get is valid. So as we turn to Samach Hamad Beis, the Gemara asks, my benayu, ike benayu, shinit karaha get o she'avad. So there, my benayu, and Rashi points out, even Rav Huna, who says that the get is chal retroactively, it's going to be aser midirabonin for her to marry somebody else until she gives the money, right? Because again, you can't just assume that the get's going to work. You have to see the money before the get works. So you can't just make an assumption that the get's going to work. So it's a little different than kiddushin, but be that as it may, you can't assume the get's going to work and then go get married based on that. But be that as it may, let's say the get gets lost or stolen. So according to Ravuna, Kiddushin already took place. Gerishin rather already took place, right? He gave her the get. The star was there. He made the condition. Um, the get can actually get lost at sea as long as the condition is met. Everything goes back to the moment where he gave her that actual star uh, Gerishin and the Gerishin would be good. Except, uh, however, according to Ravuda, right again, we're, the way we're explaining the Lambdas is that the get, the Condition, all of them have to be in place at one time, right, in order for it to actually uh, take effect. And therefore, if the get itself gets lost before the condition is met, so then the, you will need to get another get in order to, in order to make the, uh, the Gerishin. So now the Gemara asks, why do we need to have the same Achlokas Rav Yehuda and Rav Huna, both in Kedushin and in Gerishin? I mean, isn't it redundant? In, this, it's, in fact, you look at the right Gemaras and it looks like we're employing the same exact identical principles. So the Gemara, it's not superfluous because you need to learn it both by Gittin and by Kiddushin. Why? The Yashmin and Gabi Kiddushin, if you only learned it with respect to Kiddushin, Yeah. Ravuna is the one that says that it takes effect immediately and retroactively. Well, one could argue that that would only be true by Kiddushin. Because after all, the Kiddushin is the honeymoon phase, Andrew, right? You're trying Likruvakasi. You're trying to make a good impression and to bring her close. Aval Gershin, and uh, unfortunately, this relationship has already gone south, right? It's gone sour. So maybe Dilchakakasi, maybe in that case, Ravuna would say, right? He would agree with Rav Yehuda that you need to meet all the conditions because at this point, he, they hate each other's guts and she, he, he doesn't want to help her with this, with this gittin. Maybe then, well, by holding up this condition that you have to pay me, maybe what he's saying is until then, I don't want the gittin to be chal at all. And therefore, you need to learn that, again, the chiddush would be that according to Ravuna, even in the case of gittin, Right, that once the condition is met, the get is in fact chal retroactively. And conversely, 
right? Um, right. So again, as the Gemara says, Avalgerishin dulchakakasi bagerishin when you're trying to distance her, Right. What that means is that Ravuna would in fact agree with Rabbi Huda, right? That he doesn't want that the husband doesn't want to accommodate this woman until she's paid. And conversely, says the Gemara, right? And if you would only learn in the case of Gittin, and you and you would not learn the case of Kedushin, so you say, well, there Ravuna says that it goes retroactive because a man won't be ashamed to ask the woman that he is divorcing for the money because it's already uh, kind of out in the open that they hate each other's guts. And so there, he's, not, uh, he's no longer acting on his best behavior, right? Avalhacha, but with Kedushin, certainly he's going to be acting on his best behavior. A man <clears throat> who's trying to, uh, in the courtship phase, is going to be on his best behavior, he'd be ashamed to, uh, and the woman, in fact, herself, would be ashamed, Ihi, she would be ashamed to demand money from him. And so that's a funny dynamic. In other words, he's saying, let's get married. Don't worry, honey, I have the money. Well, she's not so sure that he has the money, but she's embarrassed to say it, right? And so what is Chazal saying? Chazal's saying she's embarrassed to say it. And so just because she doesn't say it doesn't mean that she doesn't expect the money, right? She's just too embarrassed to mention it. So maybe there, Ema Modele Rehuda, Maybe then, it's a funny thing, that Rav Huna, who normally says it's retroactive, maybe in the case of Kiddushin, he would agree to Rav Yehuda that we have to first see the money. Because of what? Because of this sort of psychological dynamic where the woman really needs to see the money and Chazal is going to want, even Rav Huna, who normally says it's retroactive, is going to want to see the money as a, as a condition of the Kiddushin first being Chal, Right, because of the fact that even though the woman will never say it out of embarrassment, she really wants to see the money before the Kiddushin could ever be chal. And it is for that reason, says the Gemara, that Srikha, that you need both the case of Kiddushin and the case of Gershin to outline this machlokas of Huna and Rehuda. It cuts through both ways. Fine. So now the Gemara wants to ask a challenge of Rehuda. Again, Rehuda is the one that says you need both the money and the Tanai, and nothing happens until both all those conditions are met. So says the Gemara. We have a challenge from the following Bryce. So the Bryce says, I'm not my time zuz. Wow. The Bryce seems to agree with Ravuna. A person gives a woman a get on the condition that she gives him the money. The Bryce says, and we said that this was the Naf community. The Bryce says explicitly that even if the get gets lost, right, she is in fact Megureshes. And la'acher lotinase achetitain. And it's true that she can't marry anyone else until she gives the 200 zuz. However, just the fact that the get can be chal when it's torn or lost, right, seems to refute Rabbi Huda because that's all, that could only really be true if the get is chal retroactively. So how does, what is Rabbi Huda going to do with this brisa? Says the Gemara, the Otanya, another challenge. We have another brisa. Again, the case is, here's you, on the condition that you, right, pay me, I'm going to give you a get, umes. What happens if he dies, what? Childless in the interim, before, he, before she gives him the money. So normally the biyubim, right, says if he dies childless. But if there's a get beforehand, so if the get is chal, as Ravuna says, so then there's no need for yibum. Says the Gemara, nasna, this is what the Brisa says, ain's kukaliyavim, there's no yibum. If she gave him the money before he died, However, lo nasna, but if she did not give him the money, then she is going to have to do the yibum. Okay. 
Reb Shimon Gamliel Omer, Nasenes la'achiv ala'aviv ola'echad min ha'krovim. Shimon Gamliel said, if her husband died, she can give the money to one of the relatives. Okay, so what's going on? In other words, when the husband dies, right, he says, I'll give you the get if you pay me. Did he mean if you pay me or if you pay my estate? So the Gemara is going to kick this around, right? Is there a refutation in this b'risa to Rabbi Huda or not? So the Gemara is going to analyze. Here we go. In other words, the Tanakhama and Gamliel, what do they disagree? They, they disagree about the Yorshim here, right? Now we're going to talk about the inference, right? In other words, where was the condition with the Yorshim? And Shimon Gamliel said that you can give it to the Yorshim, right? And the Tanakhama said that you can't give it to the Yorshim, you have to be, right? <coughs> you have to give it to the actual man. Again, the man said, Here's your get on the condition that you pay me. So does he mean do you pay me or do you pay the estate? Says the Gemara, that's the Machokis in the Brisa, right? According to the Tanakama, it has to pay the man himself, not his estate. And the Rabbi Shimon Gamliel is saying that it can actually be the estate and that would fulfill the condition. However, the But everyone here seems to say that the wife has to give money uh, and it's a condition. A condition. It's a t'nai, right? Again, right? So, lo nasna here means if she never pays her, if she never pays, okay, so the condition, of course, will work, right? And then she's going to be skuka liyavam. But if she gives the money, so, so then everybody agrees that she's, in fact, going to be what? That she's going to be divorced. Well, that sounds like it's a t'nai. It sounds straight up like Ravuna. Sounds like even according to the Tanakama, the only reason she's not divorced is because she didn't, right? She, that because the money wasn't supposed to go to the estate, it was supposed to go to him. But were the money to be able to go to him, then of course it would be a uh, condition that if it were met, it would be retroactive like any other condition. Says the Gemara to Yuf to the Rabbi Huda. Yeah, so now we have two Bryce's. Both of them seem to refute Rabbi Huda. Both seem to indicate that once the condition is met, the get or the condition, whatever it would be, once the condition is met, it would be actually effective retroactively. So how would Rabbi Huda defend himself against these two braces? Says the Gemara, Amach Rabbi Huda, Hamani Rabbi. Yeah. This is all the opinion that we mentioned yesterday of Rabbi. The Amar Rav Huna, Amar Rabbi, Kol Amar Almanas, Kol Amar Dami. Yeah, the whole thing <laughs> is, yeah, these braces true. They sound bad for me. But that's just because that is a shita amongst Tanaim. It's a shita of Rebbe, who in fact says that it's a language thing. That when a person says almanas, right, he means me'achshav. Again, when all of this of whether it's retroactive or whether it's from now on uh, forward, all assumes that he made some sort of ambiguous language of Tanai that didn't, in fact, explicitly state that I that you are going that that it's retroactive. But even Rabbi Yehuda would agree that if a woman said, uh, or if a man, for that matter, said that explicitly that it's me'achshav, if they explicitly said that it's retroactive, then of course it's going to be retroactive. You could set that into the conditions, right, Barry? In other words, you could say uh, a woman could say. Or a man could say, you are mekudeshes to me, right? If I give you 200 zuz, and when I give you the 200 zuz, it's going to be right retroactively binding. A person can, in fact, make that condition and state that in the condition. Even according to Yehuda, you could state that. 
So now it just becomes a question of semantics, right? So, so in fact, Rebbe says that when a person makes it tonight, it's always assumed that he means that it's retroactive. And certainly if he said it's retroactive, even if Yehuda would agree that it would work so, that it would work retroactively. Fine. So that, therefore, is not, that these Bryces, therefore, are not a threat to Yehuda because they simply are a reflection of Rebbe's Shita. However, Pligi Rabbanan Alay, the Anna, the Ami Kerabanan, right? And says Rabbi Huda, yeah, but that's just the sheet of Rabbi. The Rabbanan, in fact, disagree. They say when a person says Almanas, it is not assumed that he means Be'achshav. And I simply hold like the Rabbanan. And therefore, these Bryces, while they are a reflection of the sheet of Rabbi, are not a threat to me because I hold like the Rabbanan. And I'm entitled to do that, you know. And therefore, I am going to stick with that sheet. So now we're in the middle of Samach Amabez. And we're going to say, is that really Machlokas Rabbi Rabbanan? Let's see. Gufa. Let's look at this a little more carefully. Amr Avuna, Amr Rebbe. Kola Omer Almanas, Kar Me'achshav Dami. So that's what we just quote, right? Quoted. The Ravuna said that Rebbe held that whenever you say Almanas, you mean Me'achshav. Amr Rebzeira, Kevivim Bebavel Avar Minan, Hada Amr Avuna, Amr Rebbe, Kola Omer Almanas, Kar Me'achshav Dami. Right? When we were in Bavel, right? We quoted this, that Ravuna said in the name of Rebbe, that, that whenever you say Almanas, you mean Me'achshav. And we said, Pligi Rabbanon Alei. Right, and we said, as Rabbi Huda suggested, that we just said that the Rabbanan disagreed, and they said when you say Almanaz, it does not necessarily mean Me'achshav. And then Kisalke Lehasam, when we made Aliyah, when we went to Yeshiva in Israel, Ashkechiler Vasi, we found Rav Asi, the great Gadol, the Yosef Kamalam Yishmeder Rabbi Yochanan, and he quoted the name of the great Gadol there to Israel, Rabbi Yochanan, the following: Hakol Modim BeOmer Almanaz KaOmer Me'achshav Dami. In Rabbi Yochanan's Shir, it was not assumed that this was Machlokas Rabbi Rabbanan. It was assumed that even the Rabbanan would agree. When a person says Almanaz, he means Me'achshav. The case where there was a machlokas Rebbe Rabbanon was in a much more limited case. It was a case when a person said from now and giving a get, this get should take effect from today and after my death. That's a very different case. There you could see that even though Amanat always means retroactively, when a person says mehayom alachar misa, Mm, that's not necessarily retroactive. That's a guy who's really sending mixed messages. Why? Because we know that a get is never active after Misa. Once a person, a person can never give a get posthumously, right? So that's not a condition. That's just like an ambiguous, contradictory statement that sounds like nonsense. And it is there where you're going to have to have the machlokas between the Rebbe and the Chachamim. Okay, so if that's the case, then we don't really have Machlokas Rabbi Chachamim in a regular case of Almanas, and that would, in fact, compromise Rabbi Huda's defense of himself, right? Because that would mean that all those prices are a threat to his shita. So the Gemara of Hatanya Mayom Lachar Misa, Get Ve'eno Get, Devar Chachamim, right? So the Chachamim says when he says Mayom Lachar Misa, you have to just go to the Chumar and everything, because it sounds ridiculous, and we don't know what this guy is up to. Rabbi Omer Kazeg Get. And Rabbi says in that case, right, so this, this is a Brysa, uh, to support Rabbi Yochanan's interpretation, the Bryce, in fact, says exactly what he said. That there's the machlokas. Rebbe says, because I get. Rebbe says, even there, you're going to say, that's a big chiddish. It's a big chiddish to say that even in that case, you're going to say that the get is retroactive. After all, this guy seemed like a nudnik, right? He's saying two contradictory things, and we're, now, we have, we're, now he dies, and we're left to figure out what he meant. Rebbe, Rebbe says, it's kind of a kula. It is a kula. Rebbe says, that is a kula. That even there, the get's going to be chal. Don't worry, the get works. He meant that it's retroactive. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Yehuda Dama ba'amanas nami puligi, ademifligi b'mayom b'lachar misa, nifligi b'amanas. Okay, so now the Gemara is saying the following. Rabbi Yehuda, in order to defend himself, he claimed that the machlokes um, between Rabbi and the Chachamim even agreed in a regular, even uh, took place in a regular case of almanas. Okay, so if that's the case, 
why, and, and here we see that certainly there was a machlokas in the case of me'achshav u'la'achar misa, right? Me'hayom u'la'achar misa. Well, could there really be a machlokas in both? In other words, it's like this, Andrew. If there's going to be a machlokas me'ayom u'la'achar misa, well, there we can understand why there would be a machlokas, right? But if that's the case, if there's machlokas me'ayom u'la'achar misa, then we probably don't need a machlokas in almanaz because almanaz is like a regular t'nai. It makes sense. It stands to reason that almanaz, they would not have such a machlokas because almanaz sounds like a regular t'nai. It's only me'ayom u'la'achar misa that's weird where we have the machlokas. So that's what the Gemara is saying here, right? That... If Yuda is going to contend that the machlokas between Rebbe and the Chachamim is also in the case of Almanas, so then why, so why do we even have to have a machlokas be mehayom misa? Says the Gemara, nif be Almanas, right? Have the machlokas by Almanas, where it's a bigger chiddish that even by Almanas, right, Rebbe Yehuda is going to say that it's not going to work, right? Even, even by Almanas, rather, the, uh, even by Almanas, right, uh, Rav Huna, right, is going to say that's me'achshav, and even by Amanas, the Rabbanon are going to say that it is not me'achshav. That would be a bigger chiddush, right? Because there you can see the Rabbanon's interpretation is a, is a major chiddush. Says the Gemara, no, the reason why we have to, the machlokas by me'hayom lachamisa also is lahodiacha koach the Rebbe. To teach you that Rebbe, is, his kula is in fact so powerful that even the me'hayom lachamisa nami hareza get. As we mentioned, that even in a case where he said Mayom Lacharmisa, which sounds like a very contradictory statement, even there, Rebbe is going to be making and is going to say that the get's going to work retroactively. That's quite a kula. And so we need the case of Mehayom Lacharmisa by get to teach you the kula of Rebbe. You would never have known that Rebbe would have such a major kula if you had only learned the case of regular Almanas. So the Gemara says, okay. But if the Almanas, why do we care so much about teaching you the Koch of Rebbe? Teach the case of Almanas to teach you the Kelch of the Rabbanon, that even though Almanas sounds like a regular condition, which is typically retroactive, right, we want to teach you that the Rabbanon, even in a case that sounds like it's retroactive, it's not retroactive. It's Mikan haba says the Gemara, and you knew that this was coming. Koach Dehetera Adif. We prefer to teach you, it is important to teach you the Kula, the incredible Kula of Rebbe, in the case of Mehayom Alacharmisa Baget, and it's for that reason that we mention that case as well. All right, so now two dots, two lines up from the wide. Within 30 days. The Gemara asks Barry's question. Pshita, obviously, if he puts a condition, he says, I have to give you the money within 30 days. And of course he has to give her the money within 30 days. What's the question? Says the Gemara. You might have said it's not really integral to his tonight. The only reason really he's giving the 30-day condition is not because he really means it literally, but because he's just trying to say, I'm going to give it to you soon. Right? You might have thought that. And therefore, okay, so if he gives it to her in 40 days, that's also good. There's a grace period, Barry. Says the Gemara Kamash Malad. No, there is no grace period. Once he says 30 days, we take it literally and we force him to give it to her within that stated amount of time. Okay, next two dots. Amnash Matayim Zuz, right? Just, I have it in the bank account. Says the Gemara. This is a fascinating question. We're going to ask it again. Hopefully, if we get to it. In other words, this guy looks like a loser. No offense. I don't think he's got any money. And he's being Makadashar, he's like, no, but I got money, I got 200 zuz. But everybody knows that he has no money. So, therefore, the condition shouldn't be chal. So the Gemara, maybe looks are deceiving. Maybe you can't judge a book by its cover. Maybe he has a robust offshore account that we don't know about. Why do we need to be concerned? Because, what are you going to say? The guy looks like a loser and he doesn't have any money. And now, what? You're going to say, well, the condition isn't chal because he married her on that condition. The condition wasn't met. And now we could just dismiss him offhand and let her go marry someone else. Well, guess what? First guy had a big offshore account. 
you cannot judge a book by its cover. She's an Asha Ish, Barry. She can't go and marry somebody else. We have to be concerned about this, right? You can't know for sure what's going on in someone's tax return, okay? So it says the Gemara, maybe he does have the money. Not only that, the Bryce says explicitly that you have to be concerned about that. So the Gemara, as Rashi explains, yeah, this isn't really a contradiction. This just means that, yeah, if he showed the money, and we know for sure that he has it, so then it's Kiddush and Vadai, then of course we're going to treat it like he has the money. But if we, in fact, it's a suffix and we don't know whether he has the money, then of course we're going to be very concerned. We're not going to assume that he does or does not have the money. And so it's just very contextual, right? In other words, if, if we're not sure, of course we're going to be careful, okay? Uh, next idea, I'm not sure times this. Now he just wants to show her money. Well, Tana, lo niskavna el So the Bryce says explicitly, yeah, he may be showing her money, but he's not taking her to uh, the mint over down in D.C. and showing her what money looks like. She don't care about that. She wants to see that it's his money. And that's what Chazal assumed, that she wants to see his money. And that's why the final words of the Mishnah, as the Gemara continues, right? if he's a money changer, which is to say a guy who's working, he's got a lot of money always laying around, but it's not his, she's not Mekudesh, says the Gemara Peshitta. Of course she's not Mekudesh. As we just established, she wants to see that it's his money. Says the Gemara, Yeah, you know, he may say something to the effect of, you know, I move a lot of money around, I get percentages, I get all kinds of kickbacks, and so look at all this money that I deal with, right? Like, I manage accounts of billions of dollars. So she could say, yeah, you manage accounts of billions of dollars, but no, they don't even pay you for it. You're doing this pro bono. So what do I care how many millions of dollars you, it's none of it's gonna be relevant uh, for our tuition payments or for any other aspects of life. So says the Gemara, you might've thought that just by the fact that he's in finance, as it were, that she would be willing to marry him. Says the Gemara, no. You need to see the money and it needs to be his money. Good. Okay, mission on the bottom of Samach Ahmed Bez at the hopeless time of 6.04 a.m. Here we go. Amanashi base kur afar. So he's marrying her on the condition that he owns some land. A base kur is a certain amount of land. We don't have to get involved with the shiur, but he says, I have a certain parcel of land. Harezim Mekudeshus V'yeshlo. Presuming... Uh, this again is a language that means that she's Mekudeshis on the assumption that he has that amount of land. And if he said, I have this specific land in St. Lucia, he specifies a place. Well, it better be in that place. He can't say that it's in St. Lucia and then it'll be in St. Thomas. Those are two different places. She is assuming that it's in the place where he says it is. Okay, we're going to ask, why do we care? Now he's not saying that he owns it. He's just saying he's going to show it to her. Amazingly, it's going to work provided that he shows it to her. So now, if he shows her a huge valley and he says, you know, none of them are really mine. So then she's not Mukudeshis. So the Gemara is going to explain what this is about. Says the Gemara. So again, the same question we asked with the money. What if he says, I'm going to show you the land and then he hasn't shown her the land, or I, I'm sorry, on the condition that I own the land, and he doesn't actually uh, produce proof. Don't we have to be worried that he actually does own the land and that she's an Ashes ish? So just as we said previously, we're saying again here, uh, the Bryce says that we have to be concerned. So the Gemara, just like we said before, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, when, when this question goes in front of Rabbi Howard or Rabbi Rose, what's going to happen is if he actually shows the money, then we're going to say, yes, of course he's Mekudesh. If he doesn't show the money, we're not going to allow uh, this. We're going to have to like investigate further before we make any decisions about whether she can, she's in fact an Ashes ish or not. Now, ask the Gemara. 
Andrew, we just learned the same thing by money that we learned by land. And it sounds like a copy and paste. What's the difference between real estate and money? It sounds like it's the same exact principle. So why do we have to learn it twice? Is it not redundant? Says the Gemara Tzricha. Yeah, you have to learn it because if you only learn about money, well, money has a different aspect than land because money, you can hide it under the mattress or in offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands. No, in other words, you made a thought that when it comes to land, you might have said, well, if he had land, I would know about it because there's a cold. We could go look at the registry. So in other words, again, a loser shows up but you can't judge a book by its cover. He's not really a loser. He might be Elio Anubi. He might be a very, very wealthy man. Rich man, poor man, right? Sometimes a guy could just walk around barefoot because he's a gajillionaire, right? So you, don't, you, don't, you can't make assumptions about people's bank accounts. And therefore, that might, you might assume that that only applies to money because money you can hide better than land and land we would know. Kamash Malan, no. You could also hide land. And therefore, that's why we learned it twice to teach you that money and land have the same principles. So now, Three lines up, two dots. So he said it has to be a very specific place. He said, Pshita. He made his stipulations. Of course he has to actually hold to the stipulation. So it matters whether he has the land in St. Lucia or St. Thomas. Yeah, but you might have thought he could say to her, why do you care if it's St. Lucia or Thomas? We're never going anyway. And I'm the one that's dealing with this money and with this real estate. So like, you just care that I have the money, right? Like, why would you care where I have the land? So the Gemara, I'm not Tarchanu Maisina. That's what, literally what it means. I'm going to bring home the money. Either way, I'm going to do the work. Isn't like the bottom line the only thing that you care about? Kamash Malan, no. That if you're going to specify a place, that place, it has to be that the land is in fact in that place. It's in fact a chiddush indeed. Okay, what about showing her the land? I'm not sure. Erech beis Tana. We learned the brisa. Lonis kavna zu eliros mishalo. Right. I don't know what his intent was, but you know what her intent was. She's not just looking to see beautiful vistas. She's not marrying her in that condition. She only cares that he owns it. That's the. She cares about the bottom line. And says the Mishnah, and if he just shows her a random valley, the skyline drive, and none of it is owned to him, uh, she's not going to be Mikudeshes. Pshita, so obviously she's not going to be Mikudeshes. She wants to see the money. The Mishnah's ruling is necessary because he says, again, that I have some sort of sharecropping agreement. You should know that if I work this land, I make some money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she don't care. If you don't own it, I'm not interested. Okay. Now, Gabi Hektesh Tnan says the Gemara that when it comes to Hektesh, we learn the following in a Mishnah. This Mishnah is on Chaf Hei, uh, as follows. As we arrive at Samach Alfan Ralf at the hopeless time, 6 or 9 a.m. Hamaktesh Sadeu Bishasa Yovel, Nosen Bezerah Chomer Saorim Chamishim Shekel Kesef. What's going on here? The following. Hektesh, a person is Makdish land, right? During Yovel, right? What's going on during Yovel? Well, this requires a little bit of background. Normally, real estate is just evaluated like real estate, like whatever the market value is. Yovel, the Torah, set a set amount of, uh, of uh, value on it. And it says it's 50 shekel, so to speak, uh, silver shekel on a core of land. Okay? So if it's in fact Shas Yovel, all of the, right, all of the halachas are different because we have, right, already set inside principles of what the amount should be. So again, that's what the Torah says. The Torah says, I just read the Gemara, and then I also just read the Pasuk in Vayikar Chavzayin. It reads the same way. In other words, whatever the Torah says, that's what the halacha is going to be. Okay, now, it continues and says, 
Nakayim are like clefts that are ten tefachim deep, or slime gvoyim asar tefachim, or like boulders ten tefachim high. Ein nimdadim ima. They're not, in fact, measured with the field. Pachos mikan nimdadim ima. But if it's less than nimdadim ima, what's going on here? As follows. When you look at the topography of the land, if you have valleys and mountains more or less than ten tefachim, those are not included in the base core. In other words, they're not included in how you measure the amount of land that there is because, let's say, you can't cultivate those, right? The land has to be within 10 tefachim of what we'll call the level of the land, okay? So now we have a, a, a discussion about this Mishnah. The Mishnah says like this. The discussion of the Amaraim is as follows. Vavinamba, we talked about this. We thought about this heavily and we said, Need about they are lokachu, nafshayu. Wait a minute. Maybe you're going to say that when, again, this, you're devoting it to hektish. So if you're donating to hektish, so you're going to say, okay, fine. So you're not, don't, you, it's not considered part of the donation, so to speak, when it's higher or lower than 10 tfachim. It's not part of the donation of the land, but maybe it should be its own separate. In other words, that which is below and above is consecrated separately, and that which is at the land level is consecrated separately, but it's all consecrated. It says the Gemara Vachitim, a Kamalo Dahavi base core, but maybe you're going to say, base core, that the land is considered significant. If it's not a base core, and therefore you would say you would say that you you don't even redeem it for fifty shekel unless you can have a requisite amount of a base core or a minhu, and we say and again how do we get into this because we talk about in our mission about land we talk about how is land right affecting a kedushin and here we're talking about what would be the case in a case of hekdesh and we'll bring it back around to say whether kedushin is treated like hekdesh or not so with respect to hekdesh during yovel. Now we're just talking about which aspects of the land are we counting when we talk about this hekdesh. Says the Gemara Riminhu. You have to follow the following b'risa. The b'risa says sadeh, right? I read the pasuk. The pasuk said ve'im mistehachud zato. What is? Why does it say a field? Matal mudlamar. Why do we need to use the word field? Lefishanemar zerachomes or mechamishim, right? Because we already said that you can have a chomer of barley and that should be seeded and that's 50 uh, uh, silver shkalim. So that already means sadeh. So you would think, from that part of the Pasuk, you'd say that 50 shekel only applies if he had done the hektish in this specific way. A full chomer of barley. How do we know that even smaller areas of land are also going to be counted for this yovel uh, hektish? Sa'a tarkav v'chatsi tarkav, or even less so. So now we're talking about, uh, again, a lesach is a half a core. Uh, a sa'a and a tarkav are even less than that. Vafilu rova, which is even less than that, even a quarter of a kav, nine. Where do we know, right, even smaller tracts of land have to be redeemed? Again, there's a halacha in the Chumash itself, in the Torah, about redeeming all the lands, right? We talked about this, the ancestral lands that go back in Yovel. Now, according to 50 shekel per base core, prorated. That's how it works, right? When it comes to, to, to Yovel. So where do we learn that it would work? In other words, the Gemara, the, the Torah rather, use the base core, right? Use what we call a base core. So would less than a base core also have to be redeemed? Would that ancestral land also have to be redeemed? Um, prorated according to the parameters set forth by the Torah? Yes. The answer is yes. How do we know? Minayin? Because it says, Talmud Omar Sadeh. Because the word Sadeh means Mikal Makam. Now, regardless of the size, this ancestral land is going to work. Wait a minute. If that's the case, so then shouldn't clefts and rocks also be subject to 50 shekel? Why are clefts and rocks excluded? Says the Gemara. 
That the reason why we exclude, right? So again, sade is a very inclusive term. It means that even less than a base core would uh, be subject to this, uh, to this ancestral land idea. Question is now, why would clefts and, and boulders not be included? Shouldn't Sada be inclusive of them as well? So the Gemara, no, because they're filled with water, and if they're filled with water, they're totally not right, plowable and workable. And that's not love, that's love Nezria. And in fact, it says, The Pasuk says that it has to be somehow cultivatable. And since it's not, right, then it's not going to work. And that, in fact, is meduyak, uh, right? That seems to be consistent with our Mishnah. It says the Gemara, Shmamina, right? Because in fact, the mission teaches us that it's like these clefts are similar to the high rocks. High rocks cannot be cultivated at all. And from there we learn that clefts, if they're in, uh, filled with water and they're not cultivatable at all, they won't be counted in this land mass. So the Gemara, in fact, if the standard is the cultivatability of the land, so why do we care about whether it's tenth fachim or not? We just care whether it's fertile land or not. If that's the only criteria, so then that should be the criteria. It shouldn't have to do with the topography. It should have to do with the cultivatability, the agricultural right viability of the land. The smaller clefts are called basins of land, and these smaller uh, rocks are called spines of land, which is to say that even though it's true that you can't cultivate them agriculturally that well, they don't really have an independent identity. They're so small that they're subordinate, so to speak, to the land. And it is for that reason that we consider them part of the land, even though it's true that they're not cultivatable. They're so small that you're not going to start splitting that atom and with regards to sale of, with regards to um, the ancestral land. So that's Yovel. That's the redemption of ancestral land. Now the Gemara continues, says, Gabi Mecher There is a whole different set of halachas when it comes to regular real estate. Regular real estate, as we said, that's the value. Where do we learn that? And the Mishnah says, Andrew says to Barry, I'm going to sell, sell you a base core of land. What are you going to say if the land that Andrew sold to Barry has these deep right clefts or slime growing masar tfachim or big boulders ain't even so he says Andrew says he's going to sell a base core you better hope that there's a base core worth of not deep clefts and slime because after all pachos mikanim dadim ima anything that's less than 10 almost higher or lower than the land uh, land right level is going to be not counted anything below and above that that's within the land level 10 tfachim upper or lower will be counted. And there, there's a distinction. Whereas, in the case of, right, redeeming the lands for ancestral land, if, right, the, if they don't, if they have water, right, then it's going to be considered unusable and it's not going to be counted, right? In the case of a sale, even if there's no water in it, it's still not going to be counted. So we see a distinction between selling land and redeeming ancestral land on Yovel. My timer, what's the reason? So I'm a problem. Yeah, because Barry doesn't want Andrew's weird land with all kinds of levels, like ancient Egypt. He wants it to be level, right? It's inefficient to work land with multiple levels. It's a big pachki and he's not interested. It affects the value. So when it comes to redemption, the Torah is going to tell you what the parameters are. But when it comes to actual sale, you want something that's sellable. And it's for that reason that there's a distinction between the two types of cases. So now the Gemara brings it home and says, well, what about Kiddushin? Because we talked about being a Kaddish woman with land. What would be the halacha? 
When it comes to this, how do you count the clefts and the boulders? Do you count it like hektesh, where it's only going to be not counted if it's filled with water? Or do you count it like a sail, where even if it's not filled with water, it's still not going to count? It sounds like it would be like hektesh. Because the man is being called the woman. And yes, the land is hard to cultivate because it's multiple levels. But what does she care that it's hard to cultivate? She's not doing the work. He's the one doing the work. And he assures her, I know it looks like a lot of extra work, but I'm willing to do the work for you. And it's for that reason that it will work despite that. So now we get to the Mishnah on Samech Alf Ahmed Alf. And it is this Mishnah that's going to carry us all the way to Samech Beis. And it is the idea that Tanai Bnei Gar Bnei Rubed. So we'll only have time for the introduction. Andrew is going to be up all night trying to figure out the But we know what happened. We were on Rabbi Meir Omer, says the Mishnah. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu came to Eretz Yisrael and he wasn't able to cross. The, the children of God in Ruvain wanted the land of Gilad, right? And Moshe says to them, right, if you cross us with all of the rest of Kalal Yisrael, right, in front of the army, then, he says Moshe Rabbeinu, the land will be yours and I'm going to give you the land of Gilad as well. But if you do, and then he goes on and he does what's called the Tanai Kafel, that if you do not cross the land, then you're going to inherit in the land of Canaan, which implies not the land of Gilad. So what the Mishnah and then the Gemara discusses, was Moshe Rabbeinu in fact telling them something that they didn't already know? Was he also teaching us how a Tanai has to be constructed or not? Was he... Did he have to say it this way in order for them to understand at all what he was saying? Or was he saying it not only to set up the condition, but also to teach them how conditions should be set forward? Either way, he wanted the Bnei Gad Bnei Ruvain to be united in solidarity with the rest of Kali Yisrael. We are indeed, all of us, united in solidarity with the rest of Kali Yisrael when we be Zohar to a full inheritance of the land and peace and shalom and prosperity.